0: Welcome to TALC, teaching and learning consultation skills. This is the TALC Talks podcast, helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills, to get better outcomes, and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction. The chapter which I'm going to explore today is called Am I nearly there? Skills for giving and receiving effective feedback. Mostly when we hear the phrase practice makes, we think it's going to say practice makes perfect. This is wrong. Practice actually makes permanent. What we do all the time is what sticks. The thing that makes perfect is feedback. Everybody knows that practice makes perfect. And this idea is very pervasive and is supported to all, by all those references to 10,000 hours of practice is what you need to make an expert practitioner. However, I think there are some older ideas which might be more compelling and which many clinicians will have observed for themselves in their teams. As clinicians become more experienced, two things can happen. On the one hand, a clinician may continue to develop and refine their skills. After 20 years, they become more effective practitioners. On the other hand, I think most people have met clinicians who seem to have the same year of experience over and over again. All that happens is they make the same mistakes with increasing confidence and say things like, I've always done it this way. What we do all the time becomes habitual, tending to become permanent. Habits are hard to change. So that's why I say practice makes permanent Feedback makes perfect. If clinicians are going to improve their skills, they need support. What they need is to avoid doing things which are less effective and finding that those have become habits just because they've been doing them all the time. Two things are needed. Firstly, a clear picture of what good practice looks like. Secondly, clinicians need feedback on their performance of what's been seen in specific consultations, To help them appreciate the gap between what they're doing now and what excellent practice would actually look like. This is so that they realise what skills to work on next. Now how do we develop a clear understanding of what good practice is in the first place? After all, many clinicians essentially consult by themselves. And even if they are observed, the feedback they're getting might not be very good quality. They might not be able to act on it. Now this is what our curriculum and our assessment tools are for. The Calgary Cambridge Guide is an example of a curriculum and the descriptors and assessment tools, such as the consultation observation tool, also describe what happens when good practice occurs. Now in other fields, like for example music practice or sport, it's quite usual for those who want to improve to observe more expert practitioners to really understand what the best looks like. There's definitely scope for this when learning consultation skills, if the opportunities to learn from others are fully realised. This is covered in a bit more detail in the module Skills for Effective Information Gathering in the chapter Simple Steps to Powerful Listening, Listening 3D with Video Stop Start. That includes some remarks about making joint surgeries more effective. However, just knowing what good is like and practising on their own will not necessarily develop people's skills. Learning skills Requires effective feedback so that the clinician reviews their own skills against the model of good practice so that they can use that feedback to help them understand what even better if would look like. This review and feedback could occur when reflecting alone or with an educator or in a small group. Regular and accurate feedback, followed by changes in behaviour, improves performance. In other words, Practice will only make perfect if there is recognition of the desired performance and some conscious reflection on how current performance is different from that. Hence, feedback makes perfect. Most educators spend quite a bit of time on enhancing their own feedback skills and truly, we've all found this to be a lifelong learning project. However, many clinicians who are learning to improve their own consultation skills Get feedback in other settings, perhaps from their peers, not always from trained educators. This could be in small buzz groups in a teaching session, or it could be in small groups who get together to practice for examinations. If we can enhance the effectiveness of peer-to-peer feedback, it would be very worthwhile because it extends the opportunities for accurate and developmental feedback that people receive. Now, is there a problem already with peer-to-peer feedback? And I think there are some issues which can really interfere with effective feedback in peer-to-peer situations. And most educators will recognise times when they themselves have experienced the same pitfalls. Sometimes peers and even educators can be unwilling to give feedback if they see it as a kind of criticism. People want to be encouraging to others and kind to each other and they tend to avoid what they might see as any harsh feedback. Peers may not fully understand what smart feedback is about. That smart feedback which is specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and timely. Peers may not fully understand what good looks like either. Excellent practice may be one of their unknown unknowns. Clinicians who are busy making the same mistakes with increasing confidence may not be very receptive to feedback either. They need to develop the skill of receiving and learning from feedback. Sometimes people shy away from receiving feedback because they fear criticism rather than actively seeking out feedback to help them improve. However, there are teaching methods which can help those wishing to improve their feedback skills. And there are two approaches to this. Firstly, to consider how to deliver feedback that is effective and accurate without being harsh or critical. Secondly, there are skills you can learn about how to receive feedback successfully so that it leads to improvement. There are several stages to helping people give and receive better feedback. Firstly, participants need to explore their own attitudes and values about receiving and giving feedback, identifying what they hope for and what they fear might happen. Secondly, they need to see both demonstrations and have experiences of the differences between harsh criticism and effective feedback. They need to be enabled, to learn how to receive feedback effectively a skill that is not often referred to let alone formally taught and they can practice improving their focus feedback skills by using various tools including checklists. This is quite intense training actually and needs to be followed up with plenty of opportunities to practice feedback in structured situations so that feedback skills can continuously be enhanced. One thing to say Is that many clinicians inclined to perfectionism diligence and attention to detail are wonderful qualities to have but total perfectionism can be quite harmful if the clinician expects and wants to be perfect they may feel that anything they do that is less than perfect makes them defective they may interpret this as a complete failure well nobody wants to see themselves as a complete failure do they So perfectionist learners tend to sometimes resist feedback a bit and they find themselves in a position where they don't really want to hear it. Bringing this issue into the open is essential for feedback to be effective. Educators need to introduce the idea of learning as a long, gradual road towards, but never reaching the ideal, rather than perfectionism as a sort of balancing act, which means the smallest comment of even better if knocks the person off balance into complete failure. Many people will appreciate the acronym FAILS. This stands for first attempts in learning as being a desirable state. First attempts are not the final story. It's always better to try and fail and try again than it is never to try at all. And feedback helps to move learning in the right direction. The concepts of guided practice under the direct supervision of an educator with rapid feedback and independent practice can explain why massed practice can result in rapid learning but quick forgetting. What is better is distributed practice over time because this retains and embeds skills. Sharing these ideas with learners can be really helpful. Here is an example of an approach to learning feedback in practice. Ask the group if they've received feedback during their training and really find out what that was like Often it's been harsh or difficult, and this needs to be aired. After that, and more details are given of this technique in the written materials that accompany this chapter, make sure that each participant has a paper and pen. Ask them to draw a picture of a horse that's recognisable as a horse. Allow about five minutes and expect a certain amount of, oh, I can't draw. Educators should draw a horse themselves as well. In the debrief, ask participants to hold up their drawings to show to the whole group. The educator can walk round and give some feedback. Now, initially, this could be kindly, positive, but vague feedback. Something like, oh, what a lovely horse, or what a good effort, or you have done a lovely picture. Ask the group if such feedback will help them to do a better drawing next time. Obviously, the answer is no. So identify this as nonspecific kindly praise rather than effective feedback. Then the educator should give some very much harsher feedback, perhaps beginning with a picture one of their colleagues has done. Well, that's a rubbish horse. That's not a very good drawing of a horse, is it? Identify this as criticism. Again, it's not feedback. Ask participants to share any examples of non-specific praise or criticism they have received themselves. Would this assist the drawing of a better horse next time? Almost always, it won't because it doesn't give enough information about what needs to happen next. Finally, the educator can give some effective feedback. Explain that feedback needs to have a reference point, a desired outcome against which performance can be measured. So what characteristics would a desirable picture of a horse actually have? This could be something quite concrete and measurable. Four legs, two ears, two eyes, a large body, big teeth. But it also could be qualities that could be achieved. Perhaps a picture that could help an alien from another planet recognise a horse if they've never seen one. Then give some feedback using suitable reference points. Your picture does show a creature with four legs, a mane and two ears. The legs are quite short though, so it looks a little bit much, too much like a lion. It would be even better if you make the body larger and the legs thinner and a bit longer in your next picture. Ask participants to reflect on which kind of feedback would actually help them improve their drawing next time. Then invite reflection on a piece of feedback the participants have received, something that helped them improve and a piece of feedback that did not help them. In the debrief you can discuss these findings and come up with the issues that, that they describe when discussing feedback. You can note the characteristics of effective feedback on a flip chart or on the chat in Zoom and summarise them under the headings of SMART, in other words, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. It can be helpful to give examples of what each of these things mean and why it matters. For example, having consultation skills sufficient to pass examinations is achievable for most GP trainees but it may not be realistic to expect that standard on day one of training. Also, elicit the conditions under which feedback can be helpfully received, usually in private, soon after the event, in a supportive atmosphere aimed at improving performance. Feedback should not be punitive, should not be unpleasant, and it should not be bullying. Now, I've mentioned at the start that one of the skills people need is learning how to receive feedback and it's very interesting to ask people if they've ever been taught how to elicit and how to receive feedback. It's likely to be a new concept to many people and most people have not been taught how to receive feedback. Model some different ways of asking for feedback. So for example, walk up to somebody and just say to them, give me some feedback now. It soon becomes apparent that you cannot give feedback without having a reference point or criterion to use to assess performance. Ask the question again but being smart about it. Could I ask you to give me some feedback about how well I drew the horse? Or could I ask you for some feedback about my punctuality on the course so far? Can I ask for some feedback about how useful this session has been so far? Then model different ways of receiving the feedback including some ways that are resistant. So, for example, if you say, well, I think my horse was a jolly good effort, seeing as I'm not an artist, that's pretty resistant to feedback. Another example would be, I disagree that my horse has only got two legs. The other two are hidden away behind where you can't see them. Finally, model receiving feedback gracefully. Always start with, thank you for that feedback, whatever it is. This gives time for digestion and allows any emotions to settle Follow that up with curiosity and explanation. Thank you for that feedback. Could you explain a bit more about how you came to that conclusion? Followed later by, what would help me to do it better next time? If you as an educator ever get any feedback at any time, it's good to model saying, thank you for that feedback. Finally, ask the group to summarise what you've learnt and what kind of feedback they think they might be entitled to expect. You can follow this on by doing a rehearsal of feedback skills And there are details of how to do this in the written materials that go with this chapter. There are also some references to interesting reading. And hopefully this idea of giving and receiving effective feedback will be one that will find a fertile ground. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.